Come join us here, and then we'll drive over to Alton. Okay, I can start now. Martha's here. Yeah, I can start. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, as Dick commented, this is part two of what I preached about uh, a month ago. How many here were here a month ago when I preached on the power of the cross and discipleship? Uh, quite a few of you. I'm going to go over that quickly again, just as a recap, and then we're going to continue on from there. Because what I want to get into after I recap this is um, the old man, that uh, Christ killed the old man, who you were, um, the battle we have with the flesh every day now, and also the um, walking in the spirit versus walking in, the, in, the, in our own power. Um, so that's where we're going. So let's back up a little bit now. So let's go back to where we were. Revelation 12. And I heard in a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and authority of our Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, our brothers, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives unto death. So here, this is in Revelation. Here what the Bible is saying is, the way we win is by what happened at the cross, by the blood of the Lamb, and your testimony. Okay? So what I want to get into just briefly this morning, this is sort of a side excerpt, is it's not about all the wonderful words and so on that you put to things. When your people around when people around you ask you about what you believe and the kingdom and um, who you are in him, a lot of us think about we don't have the right answers, we don't have the right scriptures, we don't know them all by heart. It's not about that. What has God done in your life? And what did he do at the cross? Okay, You know those things. And that's what matters. That's how the saints overcame, will overcome. So you don't have to have all the answers. The cross was never meant to be an intellectual exercise. Most of us were saved on faith, right? Didn't always understand what was happening. We just know we were pulled, right? God pulled our heart. And out of that, we responded and said, okay, God, I'll let you in. So it's sort of like electronic ignition in your car. Do you understand electronic ignition? Most of us don't, but you still start your car and go. You believe that your car is going to start because of electronic ignition, but you don't understand it. The same thing is true here. You don't always understand what God did by faith in you, okay? But you walk it out. You go ahead and drive. Let's look at what Paul thought about this truth. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul started in Athens, okay? And where, where we're going to start with Paul is in Athens. In Athens, Paul walked around and saw um, a very religious city. It was the uh, philosophical, philosophical center of the time. Everybody was getting together, and they were debating all these theories and putting this one together with that one and picking the best of them and saying, okay, this is now truth, and you know, they're deciding what truth is. So Paul's walking around, sees all this stuff. He sees the altar to the unknown God. Dick actually, uh, between services, gave me the, the history of that one, but I'm not going to go do all that now. But it's interesting. But he says the unknown God. They, even, they want, didn't want to make sure they didn't miss one, right? So they got the unknown God. And um, so Paul stands up and starts talking and gives this wonderful speech that's in Acts 17. And um, very intellectual, meets all their arguments, everything else. And you know what? Do we ever hear of the Athenian church? There's no book of Athens. There's no nothing. 
Okay? And I think Paul was figuring this out. I can't prove this in Scripture, but I think Paul was figuring this out on the way to um, Corinth because the next Scripture says, okay, and Paul went on to Corinth. <coughs> now in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, to it, said, it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Okay, And that's like a lot of us with our people that are around us asking questions and so on. We don't have all the answers. We don't have the eloquent words. But you know what? What do you say? I chose to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified. That's the important thing. Okay? And it's your testimony then of what he's done in your life. That's what matters. First Corinthians one seventeen says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The power is in what Jesus did in the cross. And we've got to remember that. It's not about us. It's not about your words and all that stuff. It's about what Jesus did at the cross. A lot of times we want to fix people's lives and answer all the questions. But in a lot of cases, all they need to know is hear about Jesus. What do you do? Right? What do you do? Do a lot of uh, counseling and theophostic ministry. How many in here have heard of the theophostic ministry? A bunch of you. Theophostic ministry is basically a prayer ministry where it brings you to the place where you need to hear God in a certain circumstance of your life. And what it is is, again, just bringing that connection between you and God. And what I tell people when I'm doing that counseling or when I do that praying is I say, it's not my words that change you, it's his. I want to put you in a place where you can hear God because he changes you. That's what matters, his words. Okay. God's words change us. Okay, so let's backtrack now to about five weeks ago, four weeks ago, whenever it was I preached here last time. We started with the law of heredity. And what that is essentially is that the concept that uh, the writer of Hebrews tries to, or does prove, with the uh, person of Melchizedek and the Abraham paying ties to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessing Abraham. And the concept the writer of Hebrews is trying to prove is that when that was done, Levi was in the loins of Abraham. Levi was three generations later. Okay, he wasn't even born yet. Neither was his father, neither was his father. They weren't born. <coughs> okay? But what the writer of Hebrews is trying to prove is that this concept of um, that we are in the loins of the people that went ahead of us. So, for example, what he says is it works true in Adam. When Adam sinned, okay, all of us were in the loins of Adam. We were in there. We weren't yet born yet, but we were in Adam when he sinned. So therefore, we took on the sinful nature. Okay? And in our school, Kingdom Ministry had a great example with an apple. I wish I'd brought an apple in, but I didn't bring an apple in. Okay? It was a great illustration. Loved it. And what it was is he said, okay, here's an apple. Now, in this apple, if it dropped to the ground, okay, it would produce a tree out of those seeds that are inside that apple. Okay? And in those seeds are more trees and more trees and more trees. And you can get an apple orchard out of one apple. Can you see it? It's in the apple. Now, if I took that apple 
and I genetically modified it so all of the leaves of all those trees were turned fuchsia. Okay? Nice orchard, isn't it? Sort of something like that. Okay? So now, everything that comes from that apple will be fuchsia. Okay? This is the same thing that held true in Adam. Okay? When Adam sinned, we were all in Adam. Everybody that came from Adam had a sinful nature because of what he chose. So, that's Adam. Let's look at Romans 5, and let's go on to Jesus. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so spread to all men, because all sinned. Let's skip down to 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and a free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. <clears throat> so essentially what it's bringing to you is this law of heredity. We were in Adam when he sinned. Adam was born of God, sinned, therefore this became the sinful nature, this line of inheritance right here, okay? Jesus was also born of God, okay? He created a new lineage, okay? Now, to get out of Adam's lineage and into Christ, you have to be born again into a new lineage. This is where the terminology born again comes in. You've got to switch lineages, If you don't, you can be the best person, you can be a great person, do all the good things and love all the people you want to, okay? but you still got out of his lineage. You've got to be born again, and we'll talk about why in a little bit. We have a real inheritance from Adam. If you don't believe me, if you have kids, look at your kids. You could have very little sleep the night before, and they don't care. They don't care. It's still all about them. Right? It's all about them. They got that inheritance. We have it. Okay? The only way out, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. That means some can't get around another way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Got to get here that way. So let's look at what Jesus did, the nature of his death and resurrection. Again, we're just summing up what we did uh, four weeks ago. So how can God view you as purely righteous? Now that you're saved, he views you as purely righteous. Let's look at that. So sin just can't be wiped away. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God took all the sin of all the people who have ever lived. I don't know. I'm guessing it's about 18 billion um, we're about seven, seven and a half, I think, now, plus all the people that have ever lived, plus all the people that are going to live. But if you took about 18 billion people's sin and you boiled it down into one cup, okay, you think of all the worst people you've ever known. Pretty bad. One cup. Okay, and God says to Jesus, drink it. Right? Jesus came in the Garden of Gethsemane, those that remember that. He said, God, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done, not mine. So Jesus drank this cup of sin. He became more sinful than any man ever could be. Ever. Right? So if you could go into hell, he went deeper into hell than any man, if there's such a thing as depth to hell. Okay? You take a stone, drop it to the bottom of a lake, just picture it, big rock, poof, right to the bottom. Okay? That's where he was. 
He, Satan had more right to hold him in hell than any other man. So, what we talked about also was Lazarus. I'm going to come back to that. Lazarus, the disciples didn't go around preaching the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was dead four days, and his body saw decay. When Jesus came and resurrected him from the dead, they said, Lazarus, come out, had grave clothes around him, take him off. Lazarus is back. Four days dead, right? He stunk. He was decaying. Jesus was dead three days, didn't decay. Okay? So in the physical realm, Lazarus was the greater miracle. But the disciples did not go around preaching Lazarus' death and resurrection. Okay? There was more to it, and that's what we want to look at with Jesus, is the way what happened in Jesus' death. Jesus went deeper into hell than any man. So what got him out of there? Okay? It says in the Bible that God turned his back on him, basically, paraphrasing that. And it also says in uh, Isaiah that it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased him to bruise him. Why? Because Jesus was pure sin. Okay, you've all seen the analogy where people write up your sins on a whiteboard probably, and they just wipe them away with an eraser. And that concept is true. However, the depth of that concept doesn't give you the true analogy. Sin has to be paid for. It isn't just wiped away. It has to be paid for. Okay? And Jesus had to pay it. God's wrath was boiling up. Boiling up. And it had to be paid for. And where did God pay that wrath out? He paid it towards Jesus. It pleased God to bruise him. He was so much sin involved. So what got Jesus out? <clears throat> In Hebrews 5.7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Okay? Did Jesus get saved from death? He, he died, didn't he? Okay? So this term here, saved him from death, that term from in Greek is the word ek, E-K. And what it means, the connotation of what it means is out from within something. Okay? So if you read that, it said, um, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him out from within death. And he was heard because of reverent submission. So Jesus obtained by his reverent submission his own resurrection. So if you can think about it, on the third day, Jesus is coming out. Okay? And he's coming out and he's got had all this sin on him. And he's coming out. And the demons can't hold him anymore. He's coming out. Now if you go back to Lazarus, if Lazarus, let's say, had a bad temper when he died, really bad temper, okay? Four days later, he's dead. Four days later, he comes out of the grave, okay? Take the grave clothes off of him. Lazarus, here you go. Here's your family back again. Did he still have a bad temper? He did, okay? Jesus, when he went down in the grave, with all of that sin, when he came back out, did he have any of it? Not a bit. So this is why the disciples went around preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? Because that was the miracle. That was the miracle. Now, what the Bible says about that, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
So recapping again, just what it said is we were in Jesus when he died and we were in Jesus when he rose. So with all that sin that was on me and all of us, it went down with Jesus into into the grave. Okay? And did Jesus come up with any of that when I was in him? Not a bit. Which is why he can look at you now and see you as righteous. It's not rose-colored glasses or anything else. He sees you as righteous because you were in him. All that sin was left. None of it came back with him. Okay? That's why you're righteous before him. <clears throat> so let's keep going now. That was a recap. Hopefully a relatively fast recap. Yeah. Um, so now, the old man. The old man that says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, if you look at that, all of those things are accomplished facts. Do you believe that God, when he writes scripture, can write it the way he wants it? Right? So he can pick the tenses. Right? He can pick them. And that's all accomplished fact. Every single one of those things is accomplished fact. So let's look at that. (coughs) You are a new creation. You are born again. We just looked at what born again means. Born into the lineage of Christ. The old has gone. Past tense. So the old man has been crucified with Christ. The new has come. Now you're a saint. Okay? You have the spirit that lives inside you. That's what that says. Again, all accomplished facts. It's been done. That's who you are. So what is the old man that was put to death before the cross? At the death at the cross. The old man is shaped three ways. One we talked about already. The fuchsia leaves. Adamic nature. Right? What we got, sinful nature we got from Adam. That was put to death at the cross. You choose to be born again. You're born again. New lineage. That is dead. Okay? The second thing that happened is as you grew up, okay, there are things that happened to you and there are things that just happened, okay? And those things also affected you. You're, you're an old man. For example, there's a lot of bad things. Dick was just in Cambodia seeing a lot of things happening to a lot of uh, both boys and girls in the sex slavery trade. Not their fault, okay, but it happened to them, okay? It hurts. There's a lot of hurt there. Okay, we're shaped. We're shaped by those things. The third thing our old man is shaped by is our own choices, the things that we choose to do. Right? We make our own choices. We make some good ones, make some bad ones. I don't think anybody in here has made all good ones. I know I haven't. Okay? Um, so that's how our damnic nature, our, um, our old man is formed. That's what Jesus paid for at the cross. So we hear it a lot going, oh, my parents did this to me, my parents did that to me, and, and so on. You know what? That is dead at the cross. That's who you were. It's not who you are. Okay? And you can choose to accept that by faith, going, that's not who I am anymore. God said his mercies are new every morning. You can choose that today, that you do not need to be affected by those things anymore. Romans 6, uh, 6, 6 and 7, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We died with Christ. That, what that means is the sin has re- been rendered powerless. 
the effect of sin has been rendered powerless in our lives. We can choose now, okay? The analogy I'll give is like a pushy salesman. How many have had a salesman in their home? Vacuums or anything like that. I know we got one in the church that does that, so got to be a little careful here. Quit. We quit. Okay, good. That I could be... Okay, but if you had one in your home, you know how hard it is to get that person out of your house, okay? If you've ever done it, you know what I'm talking about. It's really, really hard to get them out, okay? And this is what it's like before we get saved. You have no choice. You got to listen. You got to sit there. You got to go, oh, my. That's what it's like. You have no power over this thing, okay? But when we get saved now, it's just like we take that pushy salesman and we boot him out the door and lock the door. Okay? He's out. Now, he's out there knocking on the windows. Doop, 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 doop. Okay? Looking in, going, hey, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. But you know what? Do we have power over that now? We have a choice. Okay? It's just what it's like. You have a choice on whether you let that person in or not. Okay? That's what we get. That's the old man dying. Um, Adam was able to walk sinless because of his dependence on God, not himself. We are made to be dependent on something. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. If God is not the one shaping you, something is. Is it peer pressure? Is it TV? Is it fear? You can't stop it. Right? Is it the salesman that's knocking? Trying to convince you of something? You, were only, you only thought you were living a free life, but you're really dependent on something. You're just a puppet being controlled. It's the way it works. You're dependent on something. Okay. So the first work of the cross was Jesus dying for me. The second work of the cross was me dying with Christ. Romans 6, 8 to 10. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And remember, we're in Jesus. Get hold of this, okay? The death he died, you were in him. He died to sin once and for all. You were in him. But the life he lives, he lives to God. You're in him in his death. You're in him in his resurrection. You'll live in him. When Jesus rose, he had none of that stuff left. None of it was holding him back. Think about your own life. None of it was holding him back. So let's go back to Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Live a week of failure, come back. It's a Sunday, repent, go and live another week of failure, come back, sin, repent. Sounds pretty dull. Okay, Romans 6 2. Paul's response By no means, or God forbid, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul repeats himself, Romans 6.15, said, What then, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. God forbid. Okay? 
What about sinning just a little bit? Is God, is the power of Christ to get you so you used to sin this much, now you sin this much? Is that the purpose? Okay, that's the way we think, think sometimes. So if I'm beating my wife every day, and that could go either way, by the way. With my wife, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably the one getting beaten. But if I was beating my wife every day and praise the Lord, I met Jesus and now I'm beating her only once a week, is that okay? But we think like that sometimes. The power of the cross is there so we can actually walk sinless. We have a choice. Okay? The Spirit of God that we're going to talk about in a sec, when we walk in the Spirit, we have the power to walk sinless, not just reduce sin. Now, how about this statement? I don't want to sin anymore, so I will try my best not to. That work for anybody in here yet? <laughs> that's pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Doesn't work very well. It's what that's called is the other term the scripture uses, and it's uh, translated sinful nature in the NIV. It's pure flesh. Once you try to be good, Christian, then you're in trouble. Okay? That's the flesh. Okay? So the old man, the old man said. I hate God and his ways. That's what the old man said. Okay, that was crucified with Christ. The flesh says, I will try to be good and do my best to serve God. Okay, Esau was that picture in scripture. Jacob and Esau, okay. Um, Esau was the man of men. He was the hunter. He was the, you know, the big guy, all this, whatever it is. And he could do anything. Okay, and the picture is he didn't need God. What the Bible says about that, it says Romans 9.13, says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Okay? Now, it's interesting because Esau is also the father of the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites are a picture of our battle with the flesh. Constant battle, right? Every day. Now, Saul, who was the first king of Israel, was sent to kill all of the Amalekites, wipe them out entirely. God said, kill them all. Okay? So Saul goes out, kills all the Amalekites, except he saves the king, brings him back to parade him through. That's what they used to do with kings. And so Samuel confronts him and goes, you're supposed to kill all the Amalekites. And Saul goes, I did. And it's like, well, who's the king? Right? Picture it, a little piece of flesh. Is that okay? In God's view, is that okay? God said, kill them all. He didn't. He left a few. Left he was scattered here and there. But he left the king purposely. Okay? He didn't fulfill what God said, the battle with the flesh. He didn't kill it all. Okay? Now, the interesting thing with this is that the person who comes and reports to David that Saul is dead and that he killed Saul, okay, wasn't a Malachite. He left one alive. That killed him. Again, the Malachites battle with the flesh. Watch the flesh. Watch the choices. You have the power to choose. Once you become a Christian, you have power to choose what you're going to do. What's your choice? <coughs> so the first work of the cross is him dying for me, paying my sins. Just accept it. Second work of the cross, me dying with Christ. Old man is dead. Accept that by faith. Now the third work of the cross we're going to talk about. But first I want to talk about what happens with the old man moving into the third work of the cross. 
most of you, some of you are married in here. Not everybody's married here. Um, but I'm going to take an, a marriage analogy here. You guys remember your honeymoon? Those are there. You remember it? Okay, it was good, right? Okay. So, your honeymoon. So, you've just finished your honeymoon. You get back, okay? And wives, you're going by the bathroom, and your hubby is in there brushing his teeth, right? And what does he do? He takes the cap off the toothpaste, puts a little toothpaste on, throws the cap on the counter, throws the toothpaste on the counter, brushes his teeth, spits in the sink, leaves it there, throws his toothbrush on the counter, and walks out. Okay, so now you've just been on your honeymoon, right? So you're going, oh, I can still change him, you know, this kind of thing, and I love him. He just doesn't mean it, whatever, all that stuff, right? <laughs> so, but you have a choice. You have a choice, right? You get, you're free. Your power is free to choose on how you're going to react. Okay, so now let's do the same scenario, but it's two years later, and he's been doing this for two years. Okay? And you walk by the bathroom right as he's doing it. What happens? I don't really want to know. But <laughs> okay? There's an explosion that happens. Okay? Because it's been two years building. Your old man has been building all of this time. Okay? And all of a sudden it explodes. Okay? When your old man is crucified and you trust in that and you have faith in that, it's just like that two years later was for the first time. All the stuff, the junk, all that stuff is gone. And you can make a choice again. God says mercies are new every morning. Every morning you can make that choice again. Right? By faith you can accept the fact that your old man is dead. Those two years are gone and you're able to make a choice again. You don't have to react in the anger you would have reacted in. Okay, so the third work of the cross is not a once and for all thing. It's a daily dying to oneself. Luke 9.23, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily activity. Okay, the old man's dead. And it's possible, as we make choices, to walk sinless before God. The heart of the cross is denying oneself and following God. That's all it's about. The flesh is, a, is us trying to be great and acting independently of God. I, um, probably about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, somewhere in there, um, when I lived down in Arkansas, I did a fast. And God called me to that fast. And uh, I fasted for 50 days, just liquid, nothing else. And uh, you know what? It was easy very easy to do because God had called me to do that. And I walked through that, had a wonderful time with him. Nobody even knew I was doing it, basically. I was still playing racquetball, going to work. I mean, my strength was all there, everything. God blessed that. Okay. Now, one of the interesting consequences to just drinking liquid for three times a day for 50 days is I ended up losing 50 pounds in 50 days, um, which is a great thing. So later on, I said, oh, I'm going to do that again. That didn't work at all. My flesh said, I'm going to do it again. The power of the Spirit was, not, was in it the first time. The flesh was in it the second time. And you know what? Not even a week and I was eating again. You know, I just <laughs> couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Okay? Because the power of the Spirit was not in that. The power of the Spirit was in it the first time. Able to do it no problem. 
right? Our flesh says, I want to do what God's doing. Can't do it. Cannot do it without his, with his, without his spirit. Luke 14, 27 says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. God is very clear in this. There's no gray area. Daily, we have to put him first. We have to choose what our flesh does. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature of the flesh. For the sinful nature, the flesh, desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So I want you to see out of this that the, sinf- the um, Adamic nature, okay, that nature hated God. Okay? The flesh doesn't hate God. Your choices and so on, it doesn't hate God. You're not doing things out of hate for God. You're just weak. Total difference, right? We're weak. We follow. But it's not a hate for God that drives it. We love God. Okay? But the thing is that we like to step into independence. We want to do what we want to do, right? Adam's first sin, Adam's first step into vulnerability of sin was a step into independence from God. You'll be like God. Takes a bite of the apple, right? This gave the inroad to the enemy and to sin in his life. So if you move in the flesh, independence of God, you are vulnerable to sin. Like me trying to fast, right? It's independence of God. Can I do this without God? No. Martin Luther recognized the seriousness of the flesh when he said, I am more afraid of my own heart than the, of, his, of the Pope and all his cardinals because they were all trying to kill him. But he was more afraid of what was in here. Okay? We have to make those choices. So even a little bit of flesh is bad. Right? A little bit of wife beating or husband beating, whatever. Okay. We want to be on God's side in all this, agreeing with him to actively put these things to death and not like Saul trying to keep what we think is best alive. This is another decision of faith to agree with God and believe that what he wants for your life is best. Romans eight thirteen and 14. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay, so dealing with the flesh aggressively is the quickest way to Christian maturity. If your pride is hurt, it is your flesh. Deal with it severely. Deal with it. So walking in the Spirit, hit the last one, I think. Okay, I'm pushing the limits here. Um, we'll be done shortly. Walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by the yoke of slavery, of sin. We do not have the freedom to do as we like, but, we wa- but to walk out our lives for Him or walk in the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.13 you are my brothers, 
you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We have to unlearn what our old man learned, right? Our old man has all these patterns of thought, everything else. You guys know that. Do a lot of theophostic with people. That's one of the interesting comments that comes back when you do theophostic with people where God heals something inside you. You know, for example, they may walk into a situation where they always used to get angry, and now all of a sudden they walk into that situation again after God's healed them, and they go, I'm not angry. And they have to unlearn and relearn. They could choose to get angry again. Okay, but God just stopped that whole old man thing happening and get you got freedom to choose. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk in your old ways or are you going to choose to walk in my spirit? I've given you the power to walk in the spirit. Right? Um, however, to walk in this, we need to um, make choices. Don't put yourself in compromising situations. Choose what God has. And it starts with the choice. You guys know this. It starts with a choice. Are you going to choose to walk in God's ways or not? Uh, I had a conversation with my boys this week about uh, Bernoulli's law or Bernoulli's principle. Whatever way you want to look at it, it's, it's done either way. But it's interesting because Bernoulli's law or principle actually defies the law of gravity. So if you think of an airplane... It sort of defies the law of gravity. It doesn't really defy it, but in concept it does. So if you have an airplane sitting on the ground, okay, or in the air, an airplane will fall out of the sky, right? It, will, it won't stay up there. But as soon as you get an airplane moving, okay, it can so-called defy the law of gravity. And the way it does that is what's called Bernoulli's law, but it has to get moving. Bernoulli's law very simply says that if you look at a shape of an airfoil or a wing, Okay? The wing is curved on top and flat on the bottom. Okay? So the air that goes over top has to travel this distance. The air that goes along the bottom has to travel this distance in the same amount of time because there's no void of air behind the wing. Okay? So this one has to travel faster. Now Bernoulli's law says that when air or a fluid travels faster, it creates an area of low pressure. Okay? So on top of the wing is a low pressure. Underneath the wing is still high pressure. It pushes the airplane up. So as long as it's moving, it goes up. If it's not moving, it falls. And that's Bernoulli's law. Okay? So the same thing is true in us. When we're moving and we're following the spirit, we've got that power to even defy the law of gravity. Okay? But if we're not moving, we're not choosing what's right, it's not there. Okay. So now... Out of all of this stuff, we've talked about what happened at the cross. We've talked about the old man, having faith in the old man that he's put to death. We've talked about dealing with the flesh. We've talked about walking with the spirit, okay, um, and choosing that, having the power to walk in the spirit and what that power does. Okay? So what's all that for? Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's the, in a gist, what we're here for. That's the purpose. Okay? Who's seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or listened to it? A few of you in here. Okay, so the meaning of life, right? They have this great big computer. They punch in this question. It's an all-powerful computer. I'm not as familiar with it. Punch in this question and says, okay, what's the meaning of life? And they wait all this time, and finally the computer spits out the answer. The answer is 42. And they go, okay, right? The answer is not 42. I just gave you the meaning of life. It's to make your bodies living sacrifices to God. You were cre- for you were created, Psalm 139.13, for, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You were not an accident. You were created to be saved by God for the purpose of presenting your body to him. Also, it says, I, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. There's no one else like you created on this world. You were created for God's purpose. You've been saved. You made a choice to be in Jesus. You've been saved. Your old man is gone by faith. You can choose to walk in the spirit and the power of what God gives you. You are God's perfect handiwork. So you're in Jesus when he died. You're in Jesus when he resurrected. The old man in you is dead. The new has come. You do not have to be a slave to any of that stuff any longer. The daily putting our flesh in check and walking in the spirit is the meaning of life. Because you are wonderfully made and God loves you, you can go and you can walk in the spirit and be blessed. Blessed.